Well, good morning, everybody. I see the treehouse is already left the building, so if you're in the treehouse, you want to be in the treehouse. Not you, Audrey. <clears throat> you cannot be in the treehouse. If I had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Trace. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Calista is also glad to be here in the house of the Lord. That's her praising the Lord. Amen. We start them young here. No, that's great. Uh, appreciate Hey, if you've got a Bible, a Bible app, you want a Bible, you don't have one, there's some on the table, some way to get the Word of God in front of you, flip over with, you, with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and let me ask you a question. As you're flipping to Galatians 5, what comes to your mind in terms of what we might talk about today? What's Galatians 5 known for? Fruit of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Who said that? Is that you, Luke? Yes. Yes. Fruit of the Spirit. Okay, maybe you didn't know it came from Galatians 5, but how many of you are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit? Right? Fruit of the Spirit is not a banana. It's not grapes. It's not oranges. All that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, there's a song that we sing in sports camp that I won't do here. I won't do it. <clears throat> I won't do it. But um, go to Galatians chapter 5 and flip with me, if you will, to verse 16. And we're going to read our text this morning. We're going to pray and then we're going to jump in, okay? All right. Thank you, Audrey. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these... I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let none of us become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, we come to you right now grateful for your word and the truth that it contains. And I ask, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning, and a familiar passage for, for some of us, Lord, I ask that you would give us, God, just a new revelation of what your word is in this particular context. Lord, I think we come, many of us who've been in church for a long time, Lord, we come to this passage with some preconceived notions and some ideas of what we're going to talk about, Lord. So I just pray that you would... Remove every obstacle from us in order for us to hear clearly from you through the work of your word and your Holy Spirit at work in us. Speak through me truth, Lord God, and truth alone. Ask your help now to do that, and I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, my friends, there is going to be a number on the screen here in a minute. <clears throat> that is the number that you can text. If you have any questions during the course of this message, and I hope that you do, um, but don't just hold on to them. Uh, send the questions you have to that number. Mike and I will come up here at the end and we'll, we'll try to answer those questions for you. Okay, so I should tell you two things up front before we get started so you're not like thinking I'm losing my mind. Um, number one, we're not going to spend any time on verses 19 through 22. Just telling you up front right now. These are very important lists, but they're just that. They are lists that tell us what it looks like to be in the flesh and what it looks like to be in the spirit. They have their place and they're important, but I have something different in mind. 
The second is this, and I try to give this to you as often as I can, but just my thesis statement, sort of what's guiding the conversation this morning, and that is this. Our flesh wages war against us, and our main source of victory over that is the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's kind of what's guiding our conversation. The flesh wages war against us all the time, and our main source of victory is the Holy Spirit. Sound good? Wonderful. So how many of you are familiar with this passage? Let me just get a show of hands. You know Galatians 5, through the Spirit, those lists. Okay, about half of you. That's, that's okay. Before we dig into the message, though, we, we, we kind of start to uncover things. Uh, I need to orient our minds around a very significant truth. we got to recognize this important fact. We have been set free from our sins. Not only that, but we've been set free from the rule of sin over us. That's what the first half of Galatians chapter 5 teaches us. Now, we're not going to go into that, but if you read through that, we realize that our freedom is not based on our actions at all. Christy mentioned that in her prayer. It's nothing that we do. We bring nothing to the equation. Christ accomplished it on our behalf. One scholar puts it this way. He says, we are called to liberty. The Christian is a free person. He's made free from the guilt of sin because he has experienced God's forgiveness. He is free from the penalty of sin because Christ died for him on the cross. And he is, through the Spirit, free from the power of sin in his daily life. He's also free from the law with its demands and threats. Because Christ bore the curse of the law and ended its tyranny once and for all. We are called unto liberty because we are called into the grace of God. Grace and liberty go together. So... The shackles of sin, if you want to call it that, have been removed from our hands and from our feet. Through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we are no longer slaves to sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's resounding. I like that. We're free. Now, that said, Paul reminds us in verse 13 something very important. Let's look at verse 13. If you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, so now Paul's making a point here. Yes, you've been freed, but don't use that to continue in your patterns of life, right? Oh, I'm free from sin, now I can do whatever I want. Let's go to Romans 6, because he makes that point clear again. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, so that's pretty significant for us. What Paul is saying is crucial to our daily walk if we're trying to live lives that are pleasing to him. So here's where we're going to get a little interactive. If you had to briefly summarize what we've talked about just so far in terms of our sin and our freedom from it, how would you summarize that just as as concisely as you can? Anybody want to offer a quick summary? We're We're not shackled anymore. That's part one. And because we're not shackled anymore, what does that mean for us? We've been set free. That's part two. And then that means, as a result, we should not what? We should not do whatever we want. We should not go back under the bondage of sin. Like, 
That's what he's saying. For once has died, has been set free from sin. Why are you going to go back into the ways of sin? So, my summary would be, yes, we've been set free from the bondage of sin because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And because of that freedom we have in Christ, we're not, no longer supposed to submit to the yoke of slavery anymore. That's great news, right? We've been set free. However, this is a big but. How many of us know that just because our freedom has been bought on our behalf does not mean that sin magically goes away and we never have to worry about it ever again? I told you it was a big but. That's where we find ourselves this morning. That's the reality of where we are. And we have two illustrations that Paul gives us in this text to help point us in the right direction. He talks about the spirit and he talks about the flesh. So these are familiar terms if you've been around church at all. But sometimes we, we look at these terms and we go, what is he talking about here? So let's just help ourselves in kind of setting the groundwork. The spirit. So what is the spirit? Who is the spirit? Is this like Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of spirit? What spirit are we talking about here? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's what we're talking about, the Holy Spirit. And as believers, where does the Holy Spirit reside? In us. Good, we're tracking so far. Okay, now the other one that's a little bit tricky. Let's talk about the flesh. So then what is the flesh? Because I feel like Paul has something more in mind than just like this, the skin, right? What is the flesh? Desires. What is it? The heart? Okay. What else? The mind? I would say it's our old nature. Our old ways that we're dead set on doing anything and everything that satisfies us and pleases us. That's the flesh. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. This is not mine. It's not originally me. But you take the word flesh, drop the H, and read it backwards, and what do you get? Self. It's self. That's it. It's us. That nature still exists in every one of you. Even though we have been made new creations in Christ Jesus, the nature of this broken and fallen world, a remnant of that old way, still exists and remains with you, until you breathe your last breath on this earth, you will be engaged in a battle. Now, the amount of control and influence the old nature, the flesh, has on our lives is the main thrust of the verses that I want to talk about. Paul starts out by telling us that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is that what he says in verse 16? If you do this, you won't do that. That's essentially what he's saying. In other words, those desires, those temptations to do the things that we know we shouldn't do but feel so good to do them because that's what we want to do, they can be kept at bay if we walk by the Spirit. Isn't that what he says? Okay. So now you're asking, well, what does it mean by the walking by the Spirit? Because I need some of that. <laughs> if that can happen, I don't want to do that. How do we do that? That's a great question. Well, we're not there yet, so just hold on. Hold on to that thought. Because there's another reality we need to face, and that is in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Well, that's just great. (laughs) Right? It's hard enough already to try to live this life that Jesus is calling me to. Now there's this battle that I have to deal with on a regular basis, ongoing inside me every day. Yes, 
You and me and every other believer that's ever walked this planet has faced this. Even Paul himself was not exempt. And I take great courage from reading Paul's words in Romans chapter 7. Let's see what he has to say about this. For I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul being really transparent with us. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Now here we go. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. How many of you can relate to Paul? I know I can. I have the desire to do what is right. That's what he says, right? I have the desire to do what is right. I have the desire not to get angry. I have the desire not to lust after women. I have the desire not to be impatient with my kids. I have the desire not to have that potty mouth. I have the desire not to spend so much time on my computer, social media, that I don't have time for you. I have the desire not to do all of those things, to avoid all of them and more, and yet, so often I end up doing it anyway. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's the reality that all of us are engaged with. The thing I know is wrong, I end up doing it anyway. Now, something Paul says here is to really stand out to us, particularly in verse 18. Um, let's hone in on that. Uh, the, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, right? That is the flesh. But right here, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So are we being set up to fail here? I mean, we have the desire to do all of these right things, and yet we don't have the ability to do it? How is that fair? Right? Give me, throw me a bone here, Paul, right? We need to go back to Galatians chapter 5. Back to the opening verse. Let's look at verse 16 one more time. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay. Now we're back to where we started again with the original question you already asked me once. And I said, hold your horses. It's a good question, and we're still not there yet. So just bear with me. I need you and myself to understand that these very two significant realities that we're facing are this. There's a spiritual battle going inside each and every believer. And this is a fact that our flesh, that old sinful way, is constantly waging war with the spirit within us to try to keep us from walking in holiness. And, this is what Paul's saying, left to our own devices, if we try to win out on our own, we will not do it. We cannot do it on our own. Those two things making sense? Huge battle going on. Flesh and spirit. I can't do it by myself. I cannot walk in victory. I cannot defeat the flesh and that selfish desire that wants to do all those things I don't want to do. I cannot do it by myself. We good on those two things? Amen. Awesome. Now we can talk about what we're going to do about it. They say that knowing is half the battle, right? Sure. Right, sure. Well, I think it's true in this case as well. So we need to know and understand what we're up against so that we can fight the right battle with the right tools. Paul gives us four verbs to describe our spirit-controlled lives. He says to walk in, to be led by, to live by, and to keep in step with. You see those four throughout the, the 11 verses or whatever it is that we read? 
Yeah. To be led by, live by, keep in step with, and to walk in. So these four actions generally express the same kind of action. Right? We could go through and talk about the nuances of me. We're not going to do that. I'm, I'm keeping a big picture here. Um, the Holy Spirit is a very active, very active part in the life lived that is pleasing to God. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. To walk in the Spirit. So here's the idea. It's a present activity now in progress. So when Paul says walk by the Spirit, that's a, it's happening right now. It's ongoing in nature, all the time kind of language. There's never a moment where we're not doing this, right? Understand that? Walk by the Spirit continually. Uh, the New American Commentary says this. It's wider usage. In its wider usage, the Greek word means not only to walk in a general sense, but to walk around after someone or to walk in a particular direction. For example, the students of Aristotle were known as the peripatetics because of their habit of following the philosopher around from place to place as he dispensed his teachings. In Paul's vocabulary, to walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit means to go where the Spirit is going to listen to his voice, to discern his will, to follow his guidance. I love that idea of following someone around, right? Going where they go, intent on listening to what they're saying, applying what they're saying, almost like a hanging on every word that this spirit is uttering. Does this describe our current relationship with the Holy Spirit? I mean, only you can answer that question. I think there's a lot of confusion about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Spirit's role in is our, our lives. We kind of just put it to the side because we don't quite understand it. I'm hoping that we get a little bit more clarity in this one lane. And I will clarify that. This is one aspect of the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is not all-encompassing Holy Spirit work here. This is one aspect. So what does it look like then to follow and to walk by the Spirit? It means that our lives are persistently persistently influenced by the Holy Spirit because he's the one to whom we give control. That's what this is ultimately about. It's about control. When you yield over to the Holy Spirit, your control, then and only then do we experience victory in the flesh. There's one more element I want to highlight, though, of this equation. That's pretty important. We see it in verse 24. Let's look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Okay, so there's a sequence happening here. We're killing our fleshly desires within us as we control, give control over to the Holy Spirit. And so now you're asking yourself, okay, how do I kill my flesh? How do I crucify the flesh? How many of you asked yourself that question just now? What does that look like practically? Sounds painful. Could be. At the very least, it's going to cost you a high payment. I mean, does putting something to death sound like a comfortable experience? Not really. One of the ways we do this, one of the ways we do this is by suffocating the flesh. How many of you have heard that before? Suffocating the flesh. Let me give you a, a parallel example. How many of you have ever had termites in your house? Anybody? Termites? Okay. When we bought our house, we had termites in the attic. They were up there. Couldn't see them. Couldn't see the damage they were doing, but there they were, eating my rafters, slowly destroying my house. 
How do we get rid of them? Well, we call the company that comes in, puts a tent on the house, right? And closes the entire structure so that there's no way of escape for those termites. And they turn that fan on and then they just blow in this smoke. They start to breathe it in, all of a sudden, pfft, dead. That's exactly what it sounds like when they die. <clears throat> you're like, okay, what's the spiritual application here? I have no idea where you're going with this. It means suffocating your flesh, your selfish, sinful nature with the truth and presence of God. Praying, reading, worshiping, fasting, sitting in his presence, surrounding your desires to do what you want, satiating them, with the Spirit, the antidote to them, Jesus and his powerful presence. Sitting in the presence of God, suffocating the desires within us. It sounds simplistic, but Jesus never said it would be complicated. It's not always easy, but the what and the how are pretty straightforward. We owe nothing to the flesh. In fact, Romans tells us that we're not debtors to the flesh. Let's look at Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body. Did you know that only the Spirit of God, who made us free from sin and given us new life and regeneration, can keep us truly free. The Holy Spirit is a necessary part of this process, and sometimes we don't even know how to include him. So how in the world are we going to be able to walk this out? Man, it's an ongoing battle, I tell you that for sure. But one way, one way we can walk by the Spirit is by crucifying the flesh, as we just discussed it. Just sitting in, remember that, maybe you weren't here, but... A few weeks ago, we talked about um, the people that were going into the temple on a regular basis and how uh, immersing ourselves in a spiritual context, is it does wonders for our faith. Um, what they were doing was constantly reading the word, discussing the word, praying, singing, worshiping. There was just like this constant churn of being engaged with spiritual things. That's what we're talking about here. Suffocating the flesh is being so immersed in this that the, we don't give provision. We don't give a place for the flesh to rise up because we're suffocating. We're keeping it down through the Spirit's working in us. That's one way that the Spirit works in us. So to walk in, to be led by, to live by, to keep in step with the Spirit is to live in light of the truth that the Spirit can actually help us experience victory in this area. You've got to believe it first. The Spirit can provide victory. And that comes in a lot of forms. I'm just giving you little pieces today. So don't think like this is the only way to do this. One of the ways that the Spirit helps us in this matter is through conviction. Through conviction. So I'm going to give you one particular text that I think a lot of people memorize, especially guys memorize this when they're thinking about like overcoming uh, situations where lust is involved. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new temptation out there. It's all there. But God is faithful, and he will not let you tempted, be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what does that look like? Because I think a lot of people have that memorized and are like, all right, I'm not going to be tempted beyond what I can bear. I'm trusting you, Lord. But practically speaking, what does that look like? Let's just say you're about to gratify the flesh. You're about to do something sinful that you know you shouldn't do. And all of a sudden you get this strong sense that what you're about to do is wrong. You feel the tension within you that's described in verse 17. The flesh coming this way, the spirit coming this way, there's like this tension that exists. And then you're faced with a choice. Do I give in to that desire and gratify the flesh? Do I do that sinful thing? Or do I follow the Spirit's leading and run the other way? Do I... Go back to the text. Do I take the way of escape that he gives me? That's following the Spirit. He gives us the way of escape. But sometimes we sit there, we see the way of escape, and then we ignore it. And go, Lord, I thought you were going to help me in my temptation. He's like, dude, you were right there. You had the choice. You chose to desire, to, to, to satisfy the desire of your flesh. I gave you the way out, and you chose not to do it. Listen, I worry that some of you think I'm trying to oversimplify this process, but I can give you firsthand testimony of this happening in my life again and again and again. But let me frame it a little differently for you. So God has given us his moral law. Not the law of the Levitical law and all that stuff that's been satisfied. He's, he's given us his moral law, the standards by which we are to live our lives. And where does he give us that moral law? It's right here in the Bible, right? He tells us what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. Yes? Okay, so he gives us that righteous living direction. Do these things. So, if the word of God and the moral truth contained within it is that well-lit path that we should stay on, then the Holy Spirit is the guardrail of that path. It's the guardrail. We're making our way through this life, right? We're trying our best to stay on this path. We're using the Word of God to help direct our decisions, our attitudes, our beliefs, just like we should. But then that flesh, that selfish nature often veers us off course. Did you know that's the part of us that helps us to be forgetful people? The flesh is the part of us that helps us to wander away from God. And so when we begin to move off of this well-lit path that we should be walking down, the Holy Spirit injects himself into the situation in an attempt to course correct us. It's like almost a, hey, buddy, wake up. You're asleep at the wheel. That's the conviction that we feel. It's the tension that we sense that we're going away from God. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, it's this way. Get back on the path. So in the moment, do we follow the Spirit? Do we keep in step with Him by yielding our desires to Him? Or do we ignore and override? Because that's a choice too. We're not robots. God does not violate you, your conscience to make you do the right thing. And I can, to my shame, give you many examples where I'm sitting at that crossroad. I'm sitting in that tension where I know this fleshly desire is in me. is like, you need to do that. You want to do that. That is what you need to do. And I feel like this pulling on the back of my shirt, the spirit going, no, get this way. In fact, there's the way out. Go that way. And I, not audibly, but almost go, no, I'm going this way. 
and there I go. I don't know how many times that's happened in my life. Far too many. That's the reality that I face on a regular basis. But it's a choice. That's what walking in the Spirit is. That's why I said it's ongoing. Regular, ongoing. But with the Holy Spirit, He gives us every possible chance to walk in victory over the flesh as we crucify it, suffocate it, and follow after the Spirit. But you know, it's not just with sin and temptation. I want to read you something this morning. I just got a little bit of a thing as I was praying. The Lord's like, I think you need to tell him that there's other things going on. Yes, that's one facet of it, but there's, there's other areas of well as well in following the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Jesus' um, decision-making is another one of those areas where we can follow the Spirit. The Spirit can guide us in making decisions in a similar way. As we have a choice to make in life, keeping step, keeping in step with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit includes a similar process. Is the decision that we're leaning toward being informed by the Spirit or are we simply doing what we want to do? Right, you got a decision to make, a new job, a relationship. Whether you don't want to get up and go to church, whatever that decision is, doesn't have to be massive. But if we're being led by the Spirit, then is the Spirit informing that decision or am I just doing what I want to do? Am I going the direction that I want to do and leaving the Holy Spirit out altogether? Now, you may not feel the tension or the pull of the Spirit in those moments, but we ought to weigh out those things, those decisions, under the light of the Holy Spirit. Say, okay, Lord, I'm at a crossroads. Now we're not talking about gratifying the desires of flesh, but we're talking about keeping in step with the Spirit and going, okay, I'm going to go this way. Because I feel the pull that way. <clears throat> I hope that some of this is making sense and you're beginning to see, okay, I can start to apply some of this in my, in my own life. Because when I look at Galatians 5 and I hear the scriptures and the, the, the sermons that I've heard over the years, it stops short. It's like, yes, don't do this list. Yes, do these things and you'll have this fruit. But there's, like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a space between. Like, okay, I get that. But what does that look like practically when I'm living my life and I come to that edge where I, I'm going to make a decision? Hopefully you feel like, okay, at least I have a couple more tools in my tool belt. But when that happens, I'm going to know and, and, and acknowledge it because that's my prayer. That we, all of us in this room, begin to live in light of the fact that as believers, we have been set free. We all acknowledged that earlier. We've been set free from sin and yet the desire to sin still remains in us. However, God has given us the Holy Spirit residing in us to follow after and to help us crucify the flesh and keep in step and walk toward holiness and righteousness. So let me close with this. What does it mean for you today? How can you apply these truths in your life today? Because if we don't do this piece, we're missing a huge aspect of our faith walk. You walk away and go, man, that was cool. I, I got something good out of that. And then you just never touch this again. It's, I think we're missing a huge part of what God wants us to do. So it could be something as simple as saying, today, I will spend more time in prayer or fasting or reading or meditating on the word. I will spend more time with God as a means of keeping my flesh in check. Right? I'm going to do those spiritual things 
in an attempt to suffocate the flesh, to keep the flesh at bay. Because the further we get from this, the further we get from community, the further we get from spiritual things, the easier it is to give in to the desires of the flesh. That's the reality. And I think we all know that deep down inside. And sometimes, like I said, we just want to give in to those desires, and so we distance ourselves. We don't want people in our lives asking questions. Like, no, stay away from me. I'm good over here, wallowing in my fleshly desires. Maybe it's today I will look for more consistently and take the way of escape when the Holy Spirit gives it to me. I just want to get engaged real quick, just to kind of see where we are. When I explain that idea of you're at a crossroads, you want to give in to this fleshly desire, whether that's getting angry, um, lusting after somebody, stealing, lying, cheating, whatever that, you want to do something that you shouldn't do, and you feel the pull that way, and yet you feel the pull this way, and you have to make a decision. We, I think we all have sensed that, yes? yes? But how many of you in that moment have gotten this sort of, I don't want to like make it weird spiritual thing, but your eyes and your attention is diverted in another place, and you see like, oh, I can go there. I can call this person. I can walk away from the situation. I can do X, Y, or Z and take the way of escape. How many of you have experienced that personally? Raise your hands. Like you've seen the way of escape. Okay, so we all, most of us know what we're talking about here, what it looks like. And I'm not going to ask you how many times you've gone this way or gone that way, because that's, that's not the point. The point is that we're being equipped to be able to walk in victory. As Paul said in the very beginning, verse 16, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's not an empty promise. That's not theory. That's what this looks like. And so no matter what we decide this morning and how we're going to apply this, the important thing is to respond to the Word of God and begin applying His truths right now, today. Yes? Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the ability to, to walk in victory through the Spirit's work in our lives. God, that's the whole thing. That's what we saw in, in, in the first part of Galatians 5. You've set us free, Christ, through your death on the cross, through dying in our place, taking our punishment, reconciling us back to the Father. We have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. But as we learned, Lord, we, we have this battle going on within us. That old nature, the, that remnant that exists within us that tries to pull us away. Lord, that's, that's something that we need to acknowledge. As believers, this happens every day. And as it happens, Lord, we have a choice to make. You want us to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. All of these things you've given us as a means of experiencing victory and hope and maturity, becoming more like you and less like ourselves. So I pray that each one here today, Lord, would, would have a tangible way that we can begin to apply some of these truths to our lives, that we might see victory more often because of the grace that you've given us through Christ and through the working of the Holy Spirit in us, the conviction, 
the direction, the way of escape, all those things, Lord. Help us, I pray, to walk by the Spirit. I ask for your help in every one of our lives through Christ. Amen.